Welcome to this episode of Musings of the Sacred, hosted by myself, William Catling, and produced by Gillette Cervantes. Each week we focus on thoughtful ways to engage life, the natural world, and God. In this, our 11th episode, our topic is Becoming an Artist, and we are delighted to be interviewing our producer, Gillette Cervantes. Gillette, you have been such a positive force in making this podcast a reality. Thank you so much. Of course. Why don't we start by introducing yourself, where you're from, and a bit about your upbringing. Yeah, so I'm Gillette Cervantes, and I was born and raised in La Puente. I have lived there my entire life. Well, what is your earliest memory of making art? To be honest, I'm not quite sure about my very first memory of making art because it's always been something that's been really prevalent in my life. I come from a family of various artists, from painting to photography, and my dad has always had a little sketchbook that he brings around, and I've always looked into it. So drawing's always been a part of my life, especially growing up. I think if I had to guess, my earliest memory would be drawing Strawberry Shortcake, because as a little girl, I was just obsessed with her and just the style that she was drawn in. So did you watch the show? Oh, yeah. I even dressed up as her for Halloween a couple years. I, I remember distinctly that my wig smelled like strawberries and it was just poofy and curly and everyone was sniffing it during the elementary Halloween walk. So when you think of being impacted by a, a animated show and you kind of almost taking on that identity... Do you think that helped you form an idea of you were an artist, even at a young age? Oh, yeah. Especially with shows like Adventure Time. I know that everyone who's seen my art has asked me at least once. They're like, have you seen Adventure Time? Do you like Adventure Time? And I feel like especially different forms of media, they're just so impactful. Because the more that we love something, the more it shows up in the things that we do, the ways that we act. And especially as an artist, it shows up in our art, especially when we're so passionate about it. So you're a young child impacted by animation. So you find yourself drawing it and creating it and actually wearing costumes, living out a character. <laughs> Who did you find in your family or in school that really supported this love of creativity that you found yourself expressing? Definitely my parents. Um, my dad, like I said, he used to carry sketchbooks and one of my biggest inspirations was just him and his art. He used to draw wacky little characters and he his style was so distinct that it made me want to develop my own style even at an early age. So a lot of the times I would go through his sketchbooks and try to copy one of the drawings and see if I could draw like him. It never happened, of course, at that age, but it was always just a big inspiration. And my parents have always loved my sketches. They have a whole drawer of them. We used to have a photo album that just has my sketches and like awards that my brother and I got in elementary. And it's just nice that I have that to reference now to see how far I've grown from when I was a little girl. Yeah, a lot of artists don't get support at home, and part of yeah. their artistic life is carving it out mm -hmm. from a void. Yeah. Um, now, did you find at school were teachers supportive? Because I, I bet you drew all the time in class. Yeah. <laughs> How did they respond to that? 
actually, I had a science teacher in middle school, and I would always doodle on the quizzes when I didn't know the answer. And of course, I'd get marked down for not knowing the answer, but she always loved my drawings, and she would encourage me a lot to, like, if she wanted to draw, like, a neutron or something on the board, she'd ask me to go up there and draw it for, like, a little scenario. And it was fun that she would foster that in me. (laughs) Yeah, I think teachers have such an impact on us. Definitely. Um, I'm sure. And here you have a science teacher who's impacting in a positive way Mm -hmm. your artistic development, which is very powerful. And can you think through your kind of school age timetable, do you remember like when it moved from just being fun to like, oh, this is more serious. This is something I want to do. Yeah, I think that actually began when I started college here at APU. Before that, I loved drawing and I thought of it as something I was really passionate about, but it never seemed like a reality professionally until I started here and I was actually an international business major. And I realized that I just wasn't finding any happiness in it. And I guess it's just the corporate life. And I thought, well, this is just how it's going to be. I'm an adult. I'm going, I'm transitioning into the adult world. And I'm just going to have to learn how to be content with what I'm given. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized that it wasn't the life I wanted at all. So I ended up skipping around a little bit. I became a history major, social studies major. Until finally, I took a drawing one class here, and I thought of it as just a little escape from my actual major. And I, as soon as the class was over, I realized that I wanted to switch to art, and my parents were supportive in that decision, despite how scared I was. They encouraged me throughout it, and I started taking art more seriously and something that I wanted to do professionally. For our listeners who don't know what APU means, it stands for Azusa Pacific University, mm-hmm. um, where I've taught for many years. And uh, Gillette and I met in the ceramics room yes. when she took a class with me. Mm-hmm. Um, you talked about your parents being very influence, uh, influential uh, in your development. Are there other mentors? Are there other people that have kind of spoken into your life or encouraged you that you see them as essential for your development as an artist? Oh, yeah, definitely. I've had, of course, I've had art teachers throughout high school that have really encouraged me a lot. There was one art teacher specifically. uh, She was a beginning art teacher in my high school that I had freshman year, and she was very strict in her teaching, but it did help me grow a lot as an artist. I think I view her as a little bit of a mentor. And honestly, I feel like some of my biggest mentors were my best friends. They used to have me do this thing where every year I would draw everyone in our little friend group and in different styles is whatever style I had that year. I would draw them in that and they held me to it up until high school when we all graduated. And it was just something where they would force me to do like a little side project that would help me realize how much my art has changed and they would kind of critique me on it honestly every year and it was something that just kept me going Uh, it's actually one of the things that separates um the large crowd of people who graduate with an art degree Mm -hmm. the ones that go on almost always have a small community Mm -hmm. of supporters that they support now yeah um as you move forward you might think about uh, who these two or three people would be, mm-hmm. other artists that uh, uh, 
can you think of them right now? Are there people that actually you're in connection with even now? Oh, yeah, definitely. There's a couple people in mind that I love their art and they've been really supportive of mine that I feel like that connection could go on despite graduation. It's good. In fact, uh, the statistics show that that's the separator between those that have a successful career as artists and those that do not. Oh, wow. Is that community, that support, the people that critique you, that Mm -hmm. help push you forward, and you do the same for them. Yeah. uh, Really valuable. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, earlier you you spoke about uh, this childhood love of animation. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is there any current media that's impacting your work? Are there books, movies, shows? What's feeding your creative juices right now? Yeah. So I mentioned Adventure Time, which is a huge one for me. But there's also this movie called The Night is Short, Walk on Girl. And it's made by a director named Masaki Yuasa. He's Japanese. And it tells a story of... It's just a fun story of this girl throughout the night who... It's so set on adulthood that the transition she uses into it is drinking. But the thing is that she can never get drunk. They kind of make it a funny joke as like the alcohol in her stomach floats out like little butterflies. And she has this crazy night of just meeting different people using alcohol as like a little way to meet them. And she goes on this crazy adventure all night. And the other side story is this guy who's trying to follow her because he's in love with her. And because she's going on all these crazy adventures, he's also going on different crazy adventures and their lives are just kind of tangled up all night. And it feels like the night goes on forever. And it's just an amazing movie that's really sparked my creativity. And honestly, I think for books, one of the major series that shaped me was A Series of Unfortunate Events by Lemony Snicket. It's been one of my favorite series since childhood and I'm working on collecting it actually. And it's funny, I'm actually only collecting it through thrift stores. So whenever I see one of the books on in a thrift store is when I collect it and buy it. But the way that Lemony Snicket writes just really sparks something. Where when I was a child, even reading it, I thought, how does somebody come up with this stuff? And how do they like cater it to such a young audience? But it's still good, despite how old you are. Because even now I read it and I like it. Sometimes I question if I was okay reading that as a kid, but it's great either way. But I think those books and many others are written at multiple levels. Yeah. For the child and the adult reader. Mm-hmm. Like Winnie the Pooh, the same way. Exactly. Yeah. Now, I noticed that uh, in your show, your exhibition, which is up right now, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a beautiful exhibition, by Thank the way. Thank you. Um, you tell some personal stories, some mm-hmm. narratives about your relationship to bugs and the natural <laughs> yes. world. Could you talk about uh, how your own personal story gets put in the artwork, uh, but it's available for anyone to be able to look and have a dialogue with visually? Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So one of the main inspirations I take for my art is my own experiences, and I think it just, it's just what comes naturally to me. It's, it's simpler. And I feel that I have a deeper connection to it when I make art that deeply relates to me. And I think 
the way that I make it so that anyone can look at it visually and connect with it is just by using by using simpler motifs and little styles to make it so that anyone can look at it and think that's a nice looking piece, even without knowing that there's a deeper meaning. And I think that when people do know that deeper meaning, it makes them connected to it. Because a lot of the themes that I use are from childhood. Like my connection with bugs is that when I was little, I was one of those dirty kids who were digging in the wood chips, picking up worms and little roly polies and snails and, you know, showing it to my my friends and as i grew i realized that i just i don't know when i stopped but there must have been a moment where i was digging and had no idea that that would be the last time that i would ever dig up for worms and now i like when it rains and they're all out on the sidewalk i don't think of it i just walk around them like everyone else and it's kind of crazy to me how that shift happened and i just had no idea right so I think that using those connections that everyone can relate to on some level, it can bring them back to those memories. And I think it's really cool. Now, in your show, <laughs> I want to talk about my favorite piece. Okay. It's a, I believe it's a silk screen of like a robot, mm-hmm. uh, which I believe a dog is up in the uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, captain's chair. Yeah, it's inside. a little bear. Oh, it's a little bear. Okay. Uh-huh. Um I have to say, the way you approached it and the execution of the design, it stood out to me mm-hmm. as this wonderful story with just a single image. Uh-huh. And I didn't know if the robot was 20 feet tall <laughs> or 2 feet tall, but it didn't matter. You captured this this beautiful machine being driven by this, almost like a stuffed animal. Yeah. Right. Um, And it made me laugh, made me smile. But also I felt like maybe there's a touch of sadness in there Mm -hmm. as well. And I wonder if you could talk about how you tell stories in your work. Yeah. So that one is it's meant to be like a cute little piece of, you know, a robot operating this big machinery. But I also was thinking about the connection between what's natural and what's man-made and how that intersects because it is a cute little piece but it also makes you think like how did the bear get that did the bear make it did somebody make it for the bear like it tells a little bit of a deeper story that kind of makes you think about what's going on like why does the bear have that yeah yeah Yeah, beautiful piece thank you so when you spent the last probably six months preparing for mm-hmm. this show. Uh, and it's like your capstone experience. It's the culmination of your art degree here. What has that been like? Why don't you tell people what it's like to try to think of an entire exhibition? Mm-hmm. How did you prepare for it? Um, was it overwhelming? Talk about these last six months. Yeah, it was definitely overwhelming, but it was also really great. Um, part of what I really struggled with was that I'm a big planner, so I need to have everything planned out before I actually start working on my art. And although a lot of it was stuff that I made previously, I did want to make a lot of new art to go with the theme that I was thinking of, of childhood and bugs. And when I had my plan for my show, originally, it was completely different. It wasn't until the start of January, actually, and my show is February 28th, that I really had a set plan for what I was going to make. And that was when a lot of the art making was actually being done. 
And it was a great experience. I had help from you and from Tamara Valdry, who is my other kind of committee member and mentor during this process. And you guys helped me a lot with figuring out what direction I wanted to head in and just posing these questions to me about it was less this is what you're going to be making. This is how you do it. And more, what do you want to do? And so having those questions in mind over winter break before the show really had me thinking about what art do I want to make? And as you know, my vision before was very different. And I think as the time went on preparing for the show, it became more important to me, the things that I felt was I was closer to and what I was more passionate about. So that was really what I wanted to show through my work. And honestly, I was just mostly excited to be working on something so big, which is such a vast difference from when I first started here at Azusa Pacific. And I was, you know, working in accounting and it was just I just think it was really exciting. So how many pieces of art are in your show? Let's see. I think there are 21 pieces. Yes. And. For many people who don't understand the amount of hours that probably mm-hmm. represents, because a lot of work wasn't in this show that you've also made. Yeah. Um, so can you talk about that editing process where you have all this art and you're having to choose mm-hmm. how to tell this visual story? Um, was that complicated? Was it simple? Let people know, how did you edit your show? I think it was definitely a bit of a mix, and my parents helped me set up my show. They were there with me hammering nails into the walls, putting command strips up, and I had a set vision for my show and where things were going to go and what was going to go into it, but as my parents were helping me and they were in my studio looking at the rest of my work, they were telling me, why isn't that one up? Like the bare robot print, I wasn't going to include that originally, and my dad was like, no, 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 I like that print, you're going to put it in. So it kind of made me think about not only what I like, but what the audience likes to see, too. So I thought about, you know, I might not like this piece a lot, but I know that I've gotten compliments from it from other people. So that was also a big thing that I hadn't really considered in my editing process until I was actually putting the work up. So I feel like having the time to be in the gallery beforehand, just by yourself or with a couple people that know your art and trust you and you trust them, I think that was a big help during the editing process and figuring out what I wanted because the vision that you have in your head doesn't really always work out and I realized that too and honestly I was very grateful that that vision wasn't exactly what I had because I ended up making a lot of changes that I and a lot of other people really liked. What you just described is often true for for many artists Mm -hmm. we have a vision that gets us started and then as we get into the making and developing it takes on its own life yeah and it sounds like you listen to that and Mm -hmm. put a show together that seems like it's just the way it's supposed to be yeah which uh, i applaud you for that (laughs) thank you um and because of all of this work Mm -hmm. do you find yourself with a new set of ideas Are you just exhausted and need to take a break? (laughs) Are you ready to jump into more work? What's happening post-show? I have taken a couple days as a break, but honestly, I think I'm just ready to jump into making more work. I'm a very nervous person. I don't talk a lot, but I found that once people started entering the gallery and talking to me about the work I was making, I just felt so comfortable, and the words came to me naturally, and... I didn't think it would feel that way. So I think knowing how that feels like now, 
I'm just more excited to go into making work and possibly having another opportunity to do something similar. That's exciting to hear. <laughs> um, so let's take a minute and talk about the future, mm -hmm. which we can't predict. Yes. We don't know. But if you were to describe your future, mm -hmm. what you would hope it to look like as an artist, could you give us a picture of what you're hoping life turns out like? Yeah, I... I'm having different thoughts after creating the exhibition because one of my main goals is to become an art teacher of some sort because I know that growing up, fostering that love for art is really important in kids because I know that although I had people who supported me, I didn't have a place to just freely create. And so it wasn't an option for me going into college. I didn't think it was at least. So I feel like becoming an art teacher that really helps you foster that is something that I always wanted to do and I still want to do. But I also want to figure out how I can also incorporate making my own art and possibly having an exhibition while being a teacher or a professor. Yeah, I think teaching is definitely my main route at this point. Okay. So if there are young artists listening, mm -hmm. uh, if there are people that are longing to get back into art making mm -hmm. again, what would you give us advice for how to generate ideas, how to start making? How, what's your secret? How, how do you keep yourself going as an artist? I would say to honestly find something that you are passionate about and start making art of that, whether it's music, whether it's a show, a book. You know, I've made art where I read a good book and I think, oh, I love this scene. Let me draw it out. And even that sparks a little bit of that love for art because you're bringing something that you're passionate about into your art. And once that gets going, it can just be an endless supply of that because, you know, there are people that make fan art for a living and that's something that that they love and they're passionate about and it works for them and I think that having that passion and what you're working on is really important especially now when there's so many different options for being an artist it's not just about can you paint a person realistically in oil there's so many more routes and options that I think people don't really consider and so I think bringing passion into what you like and bring that into your art is something is the advice that I would give so for our listeners that don't know what fan art is uh -huh. could you tell people what is fan art yeah of course so fan art is essentially making art of something that you are a fan of just if you like a show you draw your favorite characters in that show and you post it online and there's always going to be an audience especially if it's a current show but even now like if i'm a fan of lord of the rings and i see a cool lord of the rings art or somebody designing their house in a way that's resemblance that resembles that i'm gonna like it i'm gonna be interested in that and that person is gonna have at least me as part of their audience yeah could you talk a little bit about social media as a venue for art mm -hmm. versus the gallery or the actual object? How do you see those two in your future and your and the relationship mm -hmm. between them? Um, and do you prefer one over the other? Or maybe talk about how you've yeah. seen that developing for you. Yeah, that's a big thing, especially now and with younger artists, because social media is something that we kind of have to do now. It's... It's the main way of communicating with a younger audience and 
people who are working in these galleries, you know, they want to see not only your resume, but where can I find your work? What is accessible? And it seems that social media is becoming the main way of doing that. Of course, there are websites and things, but social media kind of gives you that more personal aspect along with your work so people can see who you are as a person and what you make. And I feel like that connection is a little bit deeper than just seeing somebody's work alone. Well, so that's a really powerful way of framing it Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of critics against social media not being personal, not being real, and yet Mm -hmm. you see it as a way of anchoring the work and the person together mm-hmm. so that they seems more genuine. Yeah, I definitely see the critiques and I see where they're coming from because a lot of social media is very posed and people just aren't as real, which is okay because sometimes we don't need to show the vulnerable parts of ourselves right. and sometimes collectors and things don't want to see that too. Right. But I do think it is a good way of anchoring a person to their artwork and vice versa. This has been so fun to have this conversation. So fun. And congratulations on an amazing exhibition. Thank you. And I hope your future is filled with so much art making mm-hmm. and success. And having you as a producer has just been the best thing for me. <laughs> and I look forward to moving this forward more. So yes. uh, thank you. Any yes. final words from you? Thank you for having me. And I've had so much fun working on this podcast, too. And I hope that we're able to enlarge our platform. Me too. (laughs) All right.